Point is, is that your soul is connected not to just something eternal and objective. It's also a brand new soul and it's connected to the body in which it came to life in. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you learn and grow in your faith. It is a journey that you have to take. It's not something that you can delay. You are taking that journey whether you want to or not, whether you're active or passive in it. And we want to come alongside you to help you be active so that you know what you believe, why you believe it, and teach you some critical thinking skills along the way. My name is Jesse Mayer. I'll be your host, and we cannot do the Salty Pastor Podcast without the Salty Pastor himself, Dr. Douglas Peak. Welcome, everybody. It's good to be here, and we're in Christmas season now, and it's Merry exciting. Christmas. I love the Christmas celebration uh, just because it reminds us of who we are, mm. and it reminds us of where we come from and kind of what the point and purpose of life really is all about, even in the midst of the chaos and the hurt and the struggle and the pain. You know, so many people are just trying to find meaning and purpose or struggling, you know, from everything. Mm. Inflation has hit people so hard. Gas has hit expenses have hit people so hard. And, you know, I, I was just talking to somebody uh, last weekend about their kids wanting to come home for Thanksgiving. And the only way they could do it is if they were pooling, uh, carpooling with other people because nobody could afford to gas to right. drive their car home for uh, Thanksgiving break anymore. I know, it's so crazy. there's so many pressures out there. So things are seem to be spiraling, spiraling out of control. But even in the midst of that, when we celebrate Christmas, it reminds us who we are, where we come from, what the point and purpose of life is. Amen. And we are in our new series, Come Home for Christmas. It's about two basic things. It appeals to our sense of home, that mm -hmm. sense that we had as children of somewhere safe and warm. Um, that doesn't necessarily apply to everybody, but as a general sense, yeah. a nice, yeah. safe, secure place. But we also have Jesus who wants us to come home. He came yes. to earth so that we could go home to where we actually belong, yeah. you know, with our Heavenly Father. Yeah, so. I came. He says... Uh, I, I go to prepare a place for you. And in my father's house, there are many rooms, mm, yes. meaning there's just plenty of space. Uh, this whole series, we started uh, on Tuesday by looking into the account in Luke chapter 2. Which is when Joseph and Mary are returning to Bethlehem, right? Yes, and the one that most people read, you know, verses 1 through 24 or something like that, every Christmas Eve or Christmas morning, I encourage you to do it. It's just, it's just really great to read to your family, have your kids do it. In this account, though, in Luke chapter 2, Joseph returns to Bethlehem because he was linked to it by birth. And I think that's an important part. He mm. was linked to it. It was his ancestral home. And the, the thing that really, I think, translates for us today is that in the same way, uh, are not each and every one of us linked to eternity through our souls? So as he was linked ancestrally to Bethlehem, the fact that you have a soul and that your soul is eternal links you to eternity. And that really is one of the things that we need to dig into at Christmas. And remember, at its very core, do people believe whether they have souls or not? And I, I think this is something that, to me, I found so disturbing and heartbreaking. And that is that the primary reason millennials and Gen Zers are having such a difficult time in this world is because 
the world in which we live is attempting to convince them that they have a soul, but it is not connected to anything. And you see this in the census and in Pew Research and Gallup re polls that it's called the nuns. And these are people who say, I'm a spiritual person, but I have no religious affiliation. They check the box, none. Right. And so this group of people is growing. It's predominantly people 35 uh, years and younger. And what they're saying, I'm spiritual, but I don't have any religious affiliation. I'm completely unmoored. I'm unanchored, untethered from any traditional sense of, of uh, a notion of God and who we are as human beings. And what this does is it says you have a soul, but your soul is unlinked. It's unhinged from anything. And this is, I think, really a problem for not just society at large, but for people who are millennials and Gen Zs and trying to find purpose mm. in life. Uh, this is the problem inherent in the transgender debate. Your, your soul in the transgender debate, people who are so transgender, people who believe that children should be allowed to transition and that we should affirm that. And if a person doesn't affirm whatever they believe they are in their gender, then that is a discriminatory thing that's harmful to them and it causes psychological damage to them. Well, psychological damage to anybody, emotional damage to anybody is a concern of Christians, it's a concern of me as a pastor, but it's also a concern of me when you misdiagnose. When mm. you, you know, I mean, a lot of times uh, scientists and doctors uh, in the 1700s believed that if you had an infection, that the way you dealt with your infection is that they would bleed you. Right, you leeches, know? And, things like that. Yeah, and that's why uh, George Washington died. He had an ear infection. And so they bled him and it weakened him and he was in his 60s. Uh, but it weakened him and he died from it. Mm. So just because you're concerned about helping, it's really important to help in the right way. Right. You know, I learned this lesson when I was in college. Uh, one of my roommates, he uh, threw his back out and that's something that I had done before. And it's so bad, it's so painful. You don't wanna move because your whole back seizes up, especially when you're young. Mm. You know, when you're 20, 21 and your back goes out, it's just so freaky weird right. on you. And so it's like, well, the only thing that helped me is no matter how painful it was, is you have to get up and you have to start walking. The first day you just lay in bed, you don't do anything. But then the second day you force yourself to walk. Well, my roommate refused to do that. And I had another roommate who was very uh, emotional type guy. And he was very involved in music and stuff like that. Not that those two are always correlated, but I'm just to give you an idea about this guy. And he was uh, really upset with me that I was telling him, you need to get up, you need to get up, you need to get up and start walking. And he says, he just needs to lay and heal. And so the problem is uh, he didn't want to go to the bathroom. And so my other roommate wouldn't give him any water. So he didn't, so he stopped drinking water and then he got a bed sore. Okay. Because he wouldn't move. He was laying on the floor and he wouldn't move. He got this bed sore and I walked in and my other roommate was rubbing icy hot on his open wound bed sore. Mm. And at that, I had just had enough. <laughs> I had had enough. And I said, I said, what does it say on the back of that can of Icy Hot? He goes, well, I don't know. It just makes him feel better. I go, I don't care what makes him feel better. 
I said, what's on the back? And you turn it over and it says in this massive words, caution, warning, never apply to an open wound. It just, so he was just pouring gas on this fire and growing this bed sore. And so what I did is uh, I said, get, we're taking him to the hospital, you know? So we picked him up, we threw him in the car and he was screaming and didn't want us to move him. And I said, I don't care, don't listen to him. We took him to the hospital, we took him to the ER and the ER doctor said, you don't know how close he was to dying because he was so dehydrated. He hasn't taken water in over three and a half, four days. Oh my gosh. And so... So this was a lesson for me, and that is, and of course I grew up in a medical home, and my dad was a doctor and a researcher, and he said, you know, our desire to help is so important. It drives what we do to help people. But if you help people in the wrong way, you can end up killing them. Mm. And that's tragedy when you let your compassion overrule your brain and doing what's best. And that's how I've learned that lesson. And in the transgender debate, that's what's going on today. And a political ideology is driving the acceptance of this and accuses anybody who says, wait a second, maybe doing this to kids is a bad idea. You are attacked as having some type of phobia. Mm-hmm. And what's the, what, what this ideology has done is it basically says that your soul is purely a psychological in nature. It's not attached to your physical body at all, right? Your gender, your biology, right? They're completely separate. If you go to university, what they tell you is that gender is a social construct and your biology is your sex. And those are totally separate. But of course, this is a fallacy. It, it, it's not true, but this fallacy has become so ingrained in upper echelon thinking that it's the point now where if you're a biological male, you were born a biological male, you were raised a biological male, and you get into high school and you're not very good at your sport, you can now transition and say, I'm a female and become dominant in your sport. Why? Because... It doesn't matter that you have male chromosomes, you have male testosterone, you have male genitalia. It's simply that you believe you're female. Then you are, you see? You can even assert, well, I was actually born this way, which to me is the most incongruent and illogical statement that a person can ever make. It's the most anti-science statement that a person can make when it comes to transgender ideology. And notice what they've done. What they do is they separate between the material world, your biology, and, and then your, your psychological world, right? It's well, what you believe. Your inner psychology is what you do that. And what most people don't understand is this is Gnosticism. This is Gnostic philosophy 101. This is exactly what John, the apostle, wrote about in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. A lot of people are not aware of that, that Gnosticism has been around a long time. And what we're experiencing today is a resurgence of this Gnostic ideology. And it's like Solomon said, you know, almost 3,000 years ago when he wrote, there's nothing new under the sun, right? Mm. It just kind of comes back. And, and all because we've lost this notion of, I actually have a soul and my soul because it's spiritual in nature is tied to something more, you see. And that unhinging is what I think is so destructive to people today and destroying lives. Yeah. I think 
that idea that my specifically my generation as a whole is quote unquote spiritual, right? They yeah. check I'm spiritual is interesting because that is a bit of a shift than from what we've seen over this atheist movement, right? Yeah. Like people have basically said, well, I don't think I'm just slime slash yeah. rocks that happen yeah. to come together. Like yeah. I feel like I have a soul. Like I, there's something about me that's more than just an accident. Right. right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, there's been that swing back from that far, yeah. far pendulum action of, yeah. you know, you just are, there's no soul. There's no yeah. nothing. You're the atheistic. Just position, yeah. That yeah. atheistic mm -hmm. position. They've now kind of started swinging back and saying, well, maybe I do have a soul. Maybe I do feel these things. I feel a connection to something. I just don't know what it is. And I'm not willing to take that next step, but I at least will acknowledge yes. that I'm not dirt. Yes. Right. Yes. And so I think that part's interesting, but again, this resurgence of an ideology that's been around for 2000 years is also yeah. interesting where it's yeah. like, okay, you know, that, went out of focus for a while, but now it's coming back where it's like, okay, well you have a soul, but your soul is not tied to your physical representation. And, and right. these things are, these things are separate and they don't inter influence each other. They're, they're completely separate things. They're like, well, no, that's. Yeah. But then what happens is somebody who is a faith person says, oh, okay, well then it must be linked to God. It must be linked to the, some, some absolute or objective truth. And then they go, no, 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 not no, no, that no. either. Right. So they're not willing to take those additional steps where it's like, well, but you already have admitted that there's something going on. Yeah. You just don't want to take those extra steps. And I mean, it really does come down to, we have a soul. It can't be unlinked right. from reality. Can it? <laughs> no, it can. And that's, what's really important is that it's not only linked spiritually to an objective, absolute reality, which is the highest thing that we can think of, which is God, right? right? You, if you could think of something better or higher than God, then that's God, right? You see? So that's the logic of that. So it's linked to that, but it's also linked to our physical flesh. You know, our soul is linked. And, and a lot of people, I think, struggle with this notion, but that you, when a man and a woman come together, husband and wife, right? And they have intercourse, they create a, an egg and sperm come together and that creates life. And then out of that life is birthed a soul. It's not a pre-existent soul. It's a new soul. And so I was talking to somebody the other day and they were talking to me about reincarnation. And there, and I asked them about, cause this person is thinking about Christianity and following God. And they were saying, well, what about, you know, reincarnation, you know, that we come back. And I said, okay, well, uh, how many people were on the planet in a thousand years ago? Well, maybe 800 million. Okay. And how many are on the planet now? 7 billion. And how many are going to be on the planet in 20 years? Eight and a half billion, 9 billion. I say, okay, so if everybody is a preexistent soul that's reincarnated, where do all those new people come from? It's just a simple mathematical issue for right. me, right. you know? So are we deluded? You know, I mean, the, you know, see, that's a, and that's the thing. And the other side of it is, and this, I say this in tongue in cheek is nobody ever says, Oh, I'm in reincarnated. I was a dung shoveler in you know, right. poverty. It's always, I was a princess or a prince in India yes, or something. Absolutely. Like it's that. always, it's always yeah. something much more important yeah. than you are currently, yeah. obviously. So, 
which of course, if karma is true in that regard, then the reason you are what you are now is you're lesser, so that you need to go and pay for sins that you yes. don't even know you committed yet. So we could go down that rabbit hole real quickly <laughs> if we wanted to, but we won't. But the point is, is that your soul is connected not to just something eternal and objective. It's also a brand new soul and it's connected to the body in which it came to life in, mm. okay? And so the soul then longs for home. It is dissatisfied, restless, confused when there is no hope of being home. And home is rest, it's peace, it's meaning, it's purpose. You said earlier that not everybody has a great vision of home because maybe their home that they were raised in was super toxic or unhealthy, right? right? But what's interesting is how do they know it was bad? How do they know it was toxic? Because inside of them, what? They long for something that is our understanding of home, right? They have like something they, to compare it, it to. Yeah. It's like, this is wrong, right? This yeah. isn't good. It's damaging to me. Because inside of them, there, there's this notion that it should not be this way. Mm. It should not. And that in its of its core uh, 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 is a revelation of how there is an objective standard. And that's how we know, even as young, young children, when... Things aren't right. You know, this isn't right. We shouldn't be treated this way. So our soul uh, longs for rest, peace, meaning, and purpose. However, your soul cannot be separated from the material world in which it exists. It's a spiritual thing in a material body. Therefore, what you do affects your soul. Uh, what happens in your daily reality affects your soul. The way you think, the choices you make. Uh, in this material world affect your spiritual soul. And this is one of the most unique and fascinating things about the soul. It's also why Gnosticism is a heresy because they're always trying to divide that, which mm. they're trying to do in these ideological debates today. So in order for your soul to be at peace, two basic things have to happen. First, the soul needs to be brought from death to life, right? And this is the concept of redemption, being made righteous, once again, in the eyes of God, through the covering of the blood of Jesus Christ. The second thing that needs to happen is you have to align your outward life, your daily life, your material life with what has happened in your soul. And if you attempt to live in a manner where your outward life is misaligned with what is happening in your soul, this creates torment. Okay, this is a huge place where guilt, shame, a loss of value, uh, low self-image, no confidence is lost because what happens is a person is trying to live in their daily life in a way that's opposite of what God is trying to do in their redeemed soul. Therefore, once your soul is awakened, it will long for home even more. And the best way to live is to live in a way that aligns my soul with the pursuit of going home. You know, it's interesting, Dr. Peter Kreft, who is the, uh, uh, he's a professor of philosophy. He's emeritus now at Boston University. And he says, this is called living with a heavenly mindset. And he said, the people who have the most joy here on earth, the people who have the greatest impact here on earth, and I would extend it and say, the people who are most at peace with themselves, they have the most meaning in life. He goes on to say, are people who have the strongest heavenly mindset, right? It's like, I know where home is and I know I'm going there. I would call this mindset that coming home mindset. And 
if you live each day with a coming home mindset, you turn out to live such a much better life, fuller life, more purposeful and directed and meaningful life. Uh, I was reading a long time ago, uh, Rick Warren's book, Purpose Driven Life. Mm-hmm. And in it, he says, once you connect to God, you know why you're still alive here on earth? Practice. Practice. You're practicing. For what? When you get home. Well, and I think it, it reminds me that there's just so many people that are aimlessly wandering through life these days. Yes. You know, they don't have a goal. They don't know what the purpose of them being on this planet is. So they just kind of do whatever feels good. And but then they're never really happy. There's no real joy. And they're just constantly complaining about how unhappy they are and why it's basically everyone's yeah. fault except for theirs. Right. Yeah, and it and, makes it their relationship so difficult because they're relying on another person to make them happy. Right. And so we see all this stuff and especially at like, you know, I'm 34 people my age that are really struggling with this. And I think a lot of it comes back to what you talked about uh, a couple months ago. We talked about that Ted talk that had the, Oh yeah. Uh, 20, the 20s, yeah. you know, and them saying that that's the time for you to really figure out what you want to do and where you want to go and invest you in yourself, investing in yourself at that time so that you don't hit your thirties and go, I still haven't done anything. And then it right. just perpetuates the spiral, yeah, it's right? Too late. Wandering aimlessly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's, you know, that's really a, a critical point that the, that the gal who did that Ted talk said, look, postponing adulting into your thirties, you end up, well, I can't have kids now. I can't have that family. I can't have that career. I can't have all those things. And because I've just wandered aimlessly. And so I think that's why a going home mindset is so important. And that's why Christmas is such a big deal as it reminds us, Hey, there is a home. So how do we have a a going home (laughs) mindset then? Well, I think you have to establish the structural reality. I know that sounds a little abstract, but you have to recognize things about yourself and your humanity in the story of Joseph in Luke chapter 2, what what did he have to do? He had to go to Bethlehem because it's his ancestral home. In the same way, we have to realize that, that we have to go home. We're spiritual beings. Right. And we're meant to be, you know, because we're spiritual beings, we are meant to be connected to God. But... Unlike Joseph, who could, you know, get a donkey and get married and then hike along this path, regardless of how long it took them, they could get there. We can't. The bridge has been burnt. Right. There is no bridge. It's a chasm. We can't get across. And there's no ladder, bridge, or anything long enough. That's why we need Christ. You see, there, we, the phrase in the, the parable of the prodigal son, I think is really critical here, where the son is gone, he's starving to death, feeding pigs, which is an anathema to Jewish uh, boys. And he says, I'm no longer basically a son, but my servants, right, of my father eat better than this. I'll go home and be a servant. So what he's saying is, I've given up my claim to sonship, mm. right? But I'll go back and be a servant. So he realizes, I can't even go back. And yet this is what we come to in terms of our own souls, that my soul needs to go home, but it can't go back. The, burnt, the bridge is burnt, and that's why I need Jesus. I need to be saved. I need to be redeemed and made righteous and readopted, so, so to speak, or adopted into the family of God. And then finally, from that moment forward, I am now a saved person. I am a born again person. I'm a new creation person. And life becomes a hike. Life becomes a journey, a simple hike, a simple journey where home is the destination. I mean, 
this is the concern I have about my generation, right? We're living as if there's no point there's of life. There's no final destination for us to head towards. Like there's yeah. no goal ultimately for us. Yeah. That's why we're so aimless. Yeah. Nihilism. Yeah. Nihilism. It's just whatever happens happens and then we die. Right. And yes. so it's like deconstructionism has really trained us to believe that there is no destination, right. that there's no answer. There's no true reality. Us, we just simply exist for no purpose right yeah it's whatever you believe whatever we believe is what it is yeah and and so we have this uh, this attitude of cynicism towards anything and you know there's this uh video clip from jordan peterson that i think is really kind of fun to watch now you have to realize jordan peterson uh we don't know if he's even a christian or not we you know he's on this spiritual journey but we don't know but it's really interesting his observations about young people and their feelings towards church listen to this lots of modern people say well, I don't go to church because I don't believe that. It's like, well, A, who cares what you believe? Like, who the hell are you anyways? Like, and why do you even care what you believe? And how's that working for you, this belief set that you theoretically have? And so how sophisticated is that? Like, you, are you Plato or what? It's like, well, here's the church and here's me and I'm right. It's like, well, no, you're not. And first and second, you don't even want to be because... That's a great place to be, like pinnacle of brilliant wisdom. It's completely solipsistic. No tradition for me, thank you very much. You know, I've got it all right in my head. And even if you are right that the bloody institution is chaotic and, 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 and uh, decadent in some fundamental sense, it's like, well, good, there's something for you to do. Like there always has been throughout the entire history of mankind, because that's Osiris, right? The, mm. the once great king who's fallen into disrepair. It's mm. like... Well, if the church is broken and you're the genius to see it, why don't you go fix it? Well, then you might say, well, we'll just abandon it. It's like, okay, well, fine. You're going to get rid of that, eh? You're going to get rid of marriage. You're going to get rid of funerals. You're going to get rid of Christmas. You're going to get rid of any sense of sacred time. You're going to dispense with the whole history of what Judeo-Christian thought. You're going to dispense with the idea of the sacred nature of the individual. Like, how far are you willing to go with this? Isn't that interesting? Yeah, I mean, I think he's right. It's like, it's that deconstructionism idea of, well, I'm so smart and intelligent that I can see that everything's broken and nothing's working, but I'm not going to do anything about it. Yeah. And then, or I'm just going to say, we need to burn it all down. And it's like, okay, but do you have a plan after that? No. (laughs) It's like, okay, well, I still need a house to live in, so I don't tear my whole house down because couple stairs are broken in it because I still need somewhere to live. Yeah. And so <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just a, it's that, it's a further proof of that ideology that, you know, we think there's so many people that think that they know better and that they have a better plan, but they don't have a plan. They just like to point out that yours has issues and we're, we as Christians always admit we're broken. We screw up. That's why we need Jesus. If we were perfect and everything was perfect, we wouldn't have needed him in the first place. I think being a follower of Christ is the most biggest red pill reality check on human nature. It's very humbling. It's very humbling. And, and you have to do that. And, and this is what's sad about it is that this rebel attitude, you know, I grew up with this attitude and, and it's just gotten worse for younger generations. And that is, is that I don't need anybody telling me what to do. I don't need society. I don't need this. You know, I'm an individual. I can do whatever I want. I'm going to think my own thing, do my own thing. And what we don't realize is how evil that that really is. You know, the one thing he said that I thought was interesting, you're going to give up. He said, you're going to give up Christmas and marriage. And a lot of people are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then he said something else. Are you going to give up the notion of the sacred individual? 
And mm-hmm. that, that is critical. That is critical. And that is right now you have all these young people who are out there saying, well, I want the freedom to do what I want and think what I want without ever realizing, you know what they're saying? They're saying, I am a sacred individual. I'm a sovereign individual. You can't force me. Okay. Guess what happens when you throw Christianity and the church and all that out the window, that whole notion of sovereignty of you is gone. Well, I mean, we see it doesn't exist anymore. We see this in a lot of cultures that are ruled by dictatorship, right? Like Russia or China, you aren't an individual anymore. You are a cog in the machine for our no freedom of thought, right. no freedom of speech, no freedom of choice. There's no freedom of anything. Right. You will comply. And if you don't, in Afghanistan, they'll take you out into a soccer field and chop your head off. Right. And what young people don't realize is that, you know, you want to burn down the one thing on which you're standing. You're sawing off the limb next to the tree trunk that you're sitting on. Yep. And I think that's uh, the underlying message that... Uh, our society is lost and is why it's on a path of decay and destruction is the underlying message that we get in Christmas. I know this sounds really weird, but by honoring Christmas and celebrating Christmas, we're celebrating that God came to us. And so we're celebrating the fact that God is our home. And Jesus came to show us the way back home. So we are to come home. So when we honor Christmas and we celebrate Christmas, even in the midst of our deepest pain and loss and suffering, we are celebrating the very foundations of what it means to be a human being, that your soul is meant for something more, and that the things that happen in society are important. The underlying message of Christmas is you have to take responsibility for your situation, for what you believe, and most importantly, own up to the implications of what you believe. We don't live in a vacuum. Our beliefs, our values, these deconstructionist uh, uh, tools based on postmodern narratives impact our relationships with ourselves and the people we love the most, our marriages, our families, our our children, our neighborhoods, our, our cities, states, and our nation. And today our nation, I believe, is beginning to fall apart because people believe that they live in a vacuum. They believe that you can separate what? This material world in which I live and my psychological logical soul and I can unhinge it from anything material and I can unhinge it from anything spiritual that's outside of myself. And so he, uh, Jordan Peterson used the word solopsis. And what that means is it's a philosophy, solopsism. What that means is the only reality that I can confirm exists is myself. Mm. It's the most narcissistic thing that you could ever believe. And yet that is what we're training young people to believe in today's world. Well, thank you so much, Pastor, for sharing all these thoughts with us. Obviously, this is maybe a little bit more of a downer message <laughs> going into Christmas than people might expect. I thought it was so hopeful and optimistic. But it's also important for us to be aware. And you take the opposite of this is what everyone else is believing and why they're sad. We believe the opposite, which is yes. there is hope. There is something for us and we have a destination and yeah. we can celebrate that joy that celebrate Jesus Christmas came to us so that we have that opportunity. So thank you so much for sharing all that with us. Thank you guys for joining us. And we will see you on Sunday here at Foothills Christian Church. Merry Christmas.